0: go down the list of soul eroding cancerous heresies and you can usually trace it back to an ill formed should have been weeded out pastor.
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Here today, as always, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and JD Coke of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Fellas, how are you today?
0: Great. Yep, doing well, Nick.
1: Matt, you had a truck in reverse outside your window for forty-five straight minutes during the Preventing Grace podcast this week. I hope you expressed to the construction crew that stand firm is a whole nother level of importance.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're tearing up our street. It's horrible. We can't go anywhere, and no one can get to it. Well, actually, it's not that bad. <laughs> Yeah. So you know, like to be isolated. Right.
0: Right. Right. The curmudgeon. The yeah. Sort of, um, that's right. Get off my lawn, kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, you can't even get to it. Literally, stay <laughs> off <right>. my lawn and <laughs> <That's Right. right. laughs>
1: Well this week, uh, we're going to be reacting to a recent article published at the North American Anglican by the Most Reverend Ray Sutton, the presiding bishop of the Reformed Episcopal Church, which is a special jurisdiction of the ACNA. The article is called Renewing Anglican Education, and it's actually a reprinting of a portion of Bishop Sutton's presiding bishop's report given on June 9th to the General Council of the REC. Now, in the article, Sutton calls for a province-wide refocusing on Christian education and catechesis, as well as an intentional move to found Anglican parochial schools. Now, our three churches, Grace Church, Good Shepherd, and Christ Church, are all spending a ton of time and resources on formation and catechesis matt you just preached at the ordination of a man formed for years under your leadership and ministry jd you serve on the board of trinity school for ministry which is probably anglicanism's best known institution for higher theological education at least american anglicanism we all have a lot invested in anglican formation now, J.D., you resonated especially strongly with Bishop Sutton's article hearing a call therein to renew a distinctly Anglican identity through church and seminary education. What do you mean when you say that?
0: Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, as you mentioned, as, a, as both an alumni and a member of the uh, Trinity School for Ministry board and, um, you know, as we all are ministers in the ACNA, it is um, there's a lot of reasons we think about this all the time. And what I appreciated about Bishop Sutton's um, statement was the emphasis on theological rigor and clarity beginning at the local church level, which I think is, um, is, is really part of the problem, because many people, by the time they get to uh, seminary education, have, um, are woefully unprepared uh, from their local church for even the slightest rigor of theological education, much less the, that which would be and should be necessary for actual preparation for shepherds you know this isn't a, a lay catechesis uh, we're talking about although that's and that's an interesting discussion too we're talking about the people who will be entrusted with as uh, paul writes to titus you know uh, refuting false doctrine and, and holding the mysteries of the faith without um compromise and things like this and so i think that um The, the, the need for an appreciation of the challenges that the 21st century is going to bring for Christian pastors in particular is probably the most um glaring need or let's see the lack of appreciation is the most glaring need I've seen in many of um, both clergy and, um, and laity, for that matter, because if we don't have a clear sense of the um, of the problems that we're going to face, then we're not going to do a very good job equipping people to adequately address them. But I could talk about that theoretically forever, and I will talk about it as long as we have today um, on this show. But, <laughs> but I would be remiss not to uh, throw the conch shell to Matt because he's just recently um, preached at the ordination of a young man that he raised up um, all the way through, I believe. Is that right, Matt? Uh,
2: yeah, he, he came to our church about 10 years ago as a college student. And uh, um, he, along with another guy, uh, were my first two interns uh what the, what we did was it, we were kind of uh trying to figure out how to build a plane while it was flying uh at the time we were getting a lot of young people in our church it was it was growing pretty rapidly for the that was because of
0: your your aggressively progressive stance on all yeah. contentious <laughs> social issues yeah
2: they just heard that's the only know, thing
0: young people want they heard Matt, that that as you were know so affirming
2: and they just right. they fled in um, that's right no, you actually, was, it was very of space
0: on your flagpole that's right you just couldn't put it sorry
2: it was a very, straight, it, it, about 10 years ago, while we were still in the middle of a lawsuit, um, about 20 students from BU walk in one day just to, I guess they were doing a, a, a tour of churches. Um, and they walked in during Christian ed. I was doing adult Christian ed, and I think we were doing it, well, I was doing an apologetic series. And so they stayed, I mean, they stayed a, I, I. We had a good, probably 20 to 30 students coming to our church for the next 10 years. Ife Ojitayo is the one who's ordained um, uh, this, or he was renamed at Synod, and he was inducted as the director of a church in our area uh, just this last week. And uh, he started, he was really interested in ministry, and so uh, I started meeting with him regularly. I put him, I gave him some responsibility in the parish, meet with him every week, read books together, kind of discern where his gifting lies. Um, over the course of the last three years before he went to seminary, all of this became really much more set and organized. Be- and at the same time, I was, I was doing the same thing with another guy who was his friend, and, and he was also getting ready to go um, to seminary. We gave him both salaries in our church. We made them official interns, um, and I gave them responsibilities, both pastorally speaking. Uh, so they would preach um, fairly regularly. Um, they would visit people. Um, in the hospitals and uh, just regular pastoral visits, uh, they would do pastoral counseling, and we would talk together about theology regularly and and, and, and those sorts of things. Both of them were not were, were not cradle Episcopalians so they were not in, they were not Anglican. They were Baptists so they had to unlearn some things and learn some things um, going forward. And another great thing, and maybe this is good, I didn't read the article you uh, you were mentioning. Uh, maybe this is off air, but you're mentioning an article about how seminary should be like basic training. And I think, this, I think the program that we've kind of developed over time is, is like that because both the guys we sent off to seminary and now both the guys who are ordained and leaving churches have been through massive crises. Uh, both mm-hmm. were there during the time we lost our church. Um, but then after that, in about the 10-year period after we lost our church, we had two huge internal periods of strife um, that these guys got to see and were taking part in um, dealing with. So when they went off to seminary, they weren't thinking about you know church the theoretical thing. Right. Oh my goodness, you know, what, what is my pastoral theology? They they had gotten their hands dirty. They had had to um, to negotiate a lot of the things that regularly happen in a parish and think through them theologically um, before they even cracked open um, the great things they had to crack open at, at yep. Westminster. Um, we have one more guy in the one more guy uh, who was just ordained a deacon at the synod as well, and who's now doing a classical school, teaching in a classical school. Um, but I've got one more guy I'm training up right now and uh, possibly two. So we're we're going to try and formalize this process and and get some funding for it because it seems like it's, gonna, it's, it's going well. So.
0: That's really inspiring. I mean, I think that's exactly the model that is lacking uh, across the board in general with respect to um, ACNA, you know, future ACNA formation or at least at least in my experience of it. And I'm hoping that it, you know, there are certainly other churches doing what you're doing and you can point to them. But I think that more rigor, more exposure to the challenges, more apologetic, even, um, you know, engagement, more is necessary on the front end, because then you won't run into what we've all seen. We've been doing this long enough now is that people have this idealized version of, of the church or of themselves or some combination of the two. And they basically come to seminary looking for um, affirmation of what they already think they know about the church and themselves and perhaps even make it through seminary without ever having been had been challenged and then something you know very disillusioning happens even in their own personal life or in the life of the church and they become very frustrated and cynical and of course this was this is essentially the 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 church that we all left was populated by uh, frustrated cynical agnostics you know that's where you go um, that's where you go when you lose your faith. You go to, you know, uh, no offense to the high church men, but, you know, you get more enamored with the church and less confident in the gospel. And that's that's a, that's, that's a shame. I mean, shame is an understatement. It's a, it's a tragedy because, I mean, as we've been talking about, the number of people's lives who have been been irrevocably harmed, I mean, maybe not mortally so, but certainly their faith has been harmed by the doubts and cynicism of a um, disillusioned pastor, an ill-formed pastor are countless. I mean, I can't, I mean, every, almost every single sort of hashtag ex-evangelical that I either read or have met personally has had some defense from a they should not be trusted, but a then trusted ecclesiastical source, whether it was a, you know, in some cases, a bishop, it's at the very least a priest or a deacon who has or a youth minister. That's right. Who has baptized their doubts and their objections to the faith. And they just carry that around with them as a defense. And I see this all the time. Well, you know, that's what you say. But my old rector back in college said you know the bible was just written by a bunch of angry white men or something you know or or, you know that's what you say but but you know christians throughout all of history have have wrestled with the with the reality of the physical resurrection or that's what you say. i mean just go down the list of soul eroding cancerous heresies and you can usually trace it back to an ill-formed should have been weeded out pastor uh in certain case in in many cases and that's That's a that's a tragedy. And I think that that, Matt, you're the model that you're adopting and actually the one that 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 Bishop Sutton is actually advocating for that begins at the local parish with a very clear eyed reality. I mean, vision of what needs to be formed is the most necessary because, I mean, the number of people, I mean, Nick, we joked about it back in seminary, even the number of people who say, you know, my calling to seminary came after, you know, someone heard me read a good lesson one Sunday was and a really the good minister. Usher. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's, and they said, and, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I said, yeah, I think I would be a really good um, shepherd of souls you know, or something. <laughs> I think I would, I do think I have something. And I resemble this remark, I must say, uh, and I'm not proud of it, but I'm grateful that the Lord's, sp- uh, spared me because when I got out of uh, college and discerned on my own outside of a local parish the call to ministry, I decided I just wanted to go to seminary. And I remember telling someone directly of when asked, why do you want to go to seminary? And I said, well, you know, I need a degree so that people will listen to what I have to say. And he and his in his wisdom said, son, that's the worst reason I've ever heard for anyone going to <laughs> seminary. And I said, well, you know, who the you know, thanks for nothing. <laughs> who asked you, sucker? But over the next two or three months, I mean, I had had my car and all of my belongings parked at outside of um, Gordon Conwell up in South Hamilton, um, in Massachusetts, I had parked and I was spending some time with a ministry on Martha's Vineyard and I um, and, it, and I ended up just going to get the car and bringing it back and unenrolling. And and then three years later, after getting married, after having been humbled, after realizing that I might need to learn something, um, I then went to seminary. And even then I was an insufferable. Um, yeah. and so, so I don't I can't claim that it was not an overnight uh, fix, but I'm so grateful for the wisdom of just one person who saw who was in ministry, who knew what the challenges were and could hear immediately that was the wrong reason. And would there be more people like that? You know, I mean, if someone says uh, you do realize you're going to have to be on the wrong side of history on just about every contemporary question that they're asking, you know, son, don't you do you realize that, you know, there is no finessing some of these things and you it doesn't matter how nice you are, how eloquent you are, how many degrees you get, you are going to be persecuted, um, you know, subtly or overtly for the proclamation of the gospel, which includes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, this is the preamble to the final statement. And if you're not ready to um, do that, well, then you could be a very wealthy lay person um, and join your local church and pray for your pastor who's taking these, these particular blows, but you may not need to be him.
1: And we should say that the the really good lay readers and ushers don't necessarily turn out to be evil heretics who turn <laughs> No, for sure who, who turn those under their care into you know anti Christians. But what can happen is that they become milk toast people who just want to be uh, cruise ship captains, like you referenced last week, Chady. And then what happens when either they're youth group kid goes off to college. And as you're always referencing that sort of humanities 101 class, where they hear an angry professor challenge their faith, and they're completely unprepared. Yeah,
0: completely, completely. To give
1: the defense for the faith that they thought they had within them, it just withers away immediately. And I've been really called to my own account on this. And we've really over the last two years, as we're getting church here in louisville up off the ground one of the things that we've been really intentional about is forming disciples from the very youngest ages not not doing sunday school as child care while the adults are doing something else but really trying to pour in formation and catechesis to these kids to start building up the armor plating so that when they leave our immediate care they're actually ready and can defend their faith
0: yeah. I mean, I went to college with like a carton of, uh, Josh McDowell's, uh, more than a carpenter books, like expecting to, you know, pass them out and be like the cool guy. On campus. I don't, I had some real problems, but, um, but they stayed under my bed for the next three years or two and a half years. And in that, those two and a half years, you know, I read things or exposed to things and, um, and even began to believe some things that were incredibly uh, contrary to the Christian faith and very destabilizing and ultimately very, de- you know, depressing. I mean, I, you know, some dark nights of the soul. I mean, I was explaining to someone the other day, um, <laughs> I play in this tennis league and I get to sort of evangelize. That's how I, ju- that's how I justify the time. But, um, you know, when we are moving sets I always tell them I'm a minister, so they don't think I'm cheating. But then, invariably, it that comes up something like, well, how did you get called into the, into the priesthood or in the ministry. And I say, you know, so I've sort of gotten my little elevator's pitch, but essentially it was that I spent about you know, I spent about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, staring directly into the question of whether or not God exists, and that was just about long enough for me to, to be frightened for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, and I think that's where um, I'm grateful. I ran back and you know found um, that the Lord delivered me from that, and I've spent the rest of my life um, basically uh, both both reflecting on that time and and hoping that no one else within my care or earshot will ever have to to face it. And so when I was got to college and was, and then I went to my earnest young college minister who did the best he could, but you know, he's not, he's, he wasn't ordained then, nor is he now wasn't, you know, formed in the same way. And they said, well, you know, you don't have a PhD in um, X, Y, Z, like Dr. Atheist over here who tells me that, you know, there's no reason to to believe that Jesus ever even existed, you know? And so I'm like, and, and that was such a formative experience that I think it has um, really carried me through uh, and remains part of my mission to this day. I mean, I know you have a heart and a and a vision for apologetics and formation, Matt. And I think that to the extent that there are there are people walking around with objections to Christianity with some of the most facile and easily addressed questions, uh, they think are the the you know the smoking gun as to why all of this is a is a is a joke is um, is a real judgment on the local church uh, I, in every I was- generation.
2: I was one of those i mean I, I grew up in the episcopal church but i i received after sixth grade i guess when i went to Sunday school every year and up until sixth grade and what i learned in the sunday school was basic moral therapeutic moral deism or whatever that is that's what i got out of sunday school and then as a young adult i, I had nothing maybe maybe there was youth group but that was popping a vhs know and eat popcorn and try and make Mm -hmm. out with the girls and then (laughs) it was an episcopalian youth group and that's what happened um so we're uh, a really
1: huggy youth group
2: i hope that's okay yeah exactly yeah i love youth group i loved it (laughs) (laughs) i learned nothing um and and there was no catechesis for me past there's nothing just nothing there except for um i guess the 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 priest probably thought that was what was going on in youth group but but it wasn't so i came out of church of the Episcopal Church into college, into my college years, and I just, there was nothing, no foundation, no grounding, no understanding what the gospel is, so I quickly, first year, you know, dropped it all, uh, became an atheist, then an agnostic, then a theist, then a you know, by the time I was out of college, I was still having all these kinds of questions. Probably the same guy, kind of guy you're talking about, who just yeah. had, who who thinks you found a few ringers that just destroy the Christian faith, and, That's right. and they're really easily answered if you just do a little reading. But it wasn't until my it wasn't until i I began I had this crisis in my life, began to have this kind of moving toward conversion, and I heard a sermon by R.C. Sproul in the radio on the radio in the car one day by accident that I actually oh, heard the gospel and believed it.
0: That's awesome.
2: Um yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but that that experience did make me think, man, I and if when I decided to think through going to seminary and becoming a pastor, I said that, you know, Bible study, apologetics, theological formation, that's gotta be the bedrock. You Amen. gotta have that everybody, not just not just the kids, not just the adults, both and um and you gotta be willing to yeah, we, especially when we're talking about the kind of thing we began the show talking about which is the formation of new ministers there used to be when lots of people <laughs> were going to church and that was this norm that churches were big enough to have a curate all the time so so what we're talking about the program that i'm doing with the young men in my church forming, and getting ready for seminary used to be an after seminary right uh yeah. in the two years of curacy or right. three years of curacy you right. had where you had to you know learn how to be a pastor because you you've done you you've done your book learning, and now you come and do to you
0: know that's a, that's why i love pastor. the um the vicarage aspect of the lcms because when i was overdoing my doctoral work um the, the, the i met a lot of these lcms guys who were studying over the lutheran church missouri synod for the uninitiated and um You know, they do three years of seminary, rigorous seminary. I mean, it's, you know, very much in the German model. I mean, all the languages, all of the, um, you know, deep dive. And then they go off for a year. And and our LCMS listener can correct me. This is my understanding. They go off for a year and, you know, all these ideas are then put to test and they come back limping often, you know, back to seminary for a fourth year. And get to rework some of their ideas, some of their um, in the in the confines of, you know, community of teachers who know exactly what they were going to face, what their disillusionments were going to be and then able to then send them out. And it's unsurprising that, you know, for whatever theological differences uh, the LCMS has with um, with Anglicanism or not. And I know there's talk, there's discussion groups and things that they do a wonderful job um, catechizing their their from birth to death, uh, their people. And if you meet one who really knows. Who has been involved in that church? Then they are um, genuinely, in, generally in, in my experience, much more able to um, address, you know, uh, the questions and concerns of the faith than than your average, um, you know, American evangelical. Certainly, certainly, than when I was um 18 and 19 and i came from a very christian mom if you're listening a wonderfully christian loving home where you know we prayed we sang we went to church i mean so i'm i'm not like um you know matt our experiences are different in that respect i mean i was basically the best you could hope for to a certain degree of kind of american evangelical formation and i was mowed down like the you know the now discredited but still i like the idea of the um the Polish coming out to the meeting, the German uh, Panzers on a horseback. You know, that was, I used to use that all the time. It was like, I came with my box of Josh McDowell books and the first anthropology class I took, that was like the, you know, second week of school just obliterated the naivete (laughs) of my faith. And um, it took me a long time to come back from that. I mean, and I really, I think I could say that's the call the ministry I have is to to like First Peter three, you know, to to equip you for the defense of the hope that you have within you. And if and if you don't have that hope, or if the hope is somehow unformed, or uh, if some of the questions you have concerning that hope are not addressed and answered, well, then it's not going to be a very, very um, well as First Peter says in chapter one, living hope. It's going to be a very um, anemic hope, you know. And so you may have some still or cool. But it's going to um, it's not going to be as robust as it needs to be, and then you know, then you get thrown a spouse and children and um, aging and you know the, the sin, death, and the devil and the decrepitude of humanity and all the things that come into to um, making you doubt that hope. And um, that's why we were sent here for you. I mean, that's the problem. Like that's that's the work of the minister. It's like whatever else we do, however nice we are. I mean, I know you get accused of being super nice all the time, Matt. Um, but that's not uh, you know I am. Um, You have other skills, too. That's (laughs) right. Um, You know, like, Mr. It's not just my
2: winsomeness. I'd much
0: rather be someone who I'd much rather be known for for helping, you know, brought someone through the valley of despair, um, the valley of the shadow of death uh, with teaching, preaching and pastoring than than anything else really in life. And that's that's the pastoral call. You know, I, I see it. And I've had this conversation for 20 years with in various capacities because I have never had another job. And so I'm always, um, you know, there's always an implication that that what I needed to be was less sort of interested in some of these apologetic questions or these theological questions or any other of these questions and be more interested in just quote unquote loving people. And the whole time, my answer has been, well, this is love. This is love for people is to, is, you know, to train, to uh, encourage and to equip as far as I can tell. And so I think that, you know, when we go back to formation you know, I think that that a lot of people have, um, you know, again, I, I think that, that we're, we're in a position, I should say, in the ACNA um, where we are working out what our identity is. You know, we have all of these various jurisdictions, like I mentioned before, have come together. There's a lot of various dioceses with different ideas. And that's part of the growing process. And I don't think that's, you know, it's not necessarily bad. But I do think that there unless we come to a general agreement about the type of minister um, that we need to form, which would involve a general agreement on the problems they're going to face, then I think we're going to have a hard time having any cohesion um, no matter where we train ministers, whether it's Trinity Neshota, Gordon-Conwell, you know, down the list. I mean, all of these places, uh, because the pastors themselves who are sending these people will not have had the right discernment to pick out or at least to inform the people that they're raising up for ministry of what they're actually going to face.
2: That's right. I, I I remember reading a book about how back in the olden times in the Church of England, you could, you know, wherever you went in the country on a Sunday morning, if you went to church and you'd find the same thing, because they were all doing the same service, same liturgy, maybe higher or lower, but you knew you were (laughs) going to get a a prayer book, um, prayer book worship. And uh, of course that's no, that is not the case with the ACNA. (laughs) I mean, who knows what you're going to find. Any prayer, anywhere in the country where you walk in, liturgically speaking, um, you might find high liturgy, you might find low liturgy, you might find no liturgy, might, <laughs> who knows where you're going to find. Um, but I think the same thing is true, Is getting back to your point, JD, I think the same thing is true when it comes to Christian education and, and how people are being formed in the Christian faith, because not only are we widely divergent in our liturgy, we're widely divergent in our theology, um, and so we can sit here and beat our drums and say, "Okay, we need to educate, educate, educate." But I, I'm not so sure. I want some places educating the
0: yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean,
2: some areas or some regions of the ACA might have some really rigorous programs, but they're rigorously training, right? Um, you know, people in in, the, in in theologies that are antithetical to the Christian faith. I think in some ways. Uh, so so I, I think I, I like when I was reading that article that Bishop Sutton wrote for North American England, I like the idea, at least within the REC churches, of having kind of a uniform yes. uh, program, a a, a a set guide of, of learning that you take people through. And then of course, you're going to have differences from parish to parish. But in general, there's there's these these points that everyone's going to hit um, along the way of, of formation and education um, that I, I, in a dream world, I think the ACNA should try to emulate.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's where we could go back. Uh, I mean, I've gotten in trouble my whole Anglican life too, of just trying to teach uh, the 39 articles, for instance, as a, as a form of catechesis, you know, it was like very, I mean, I sat down with that. Um, what's the name of the book, the principles of theology by Mm -hmm. WH Griffith Thomas, you know, that we bought some 20 years ago or whenever we bought it, Nick. And, um, Basically, if you read that book and largely agreed with it or, or assumed that it was it was um, authoritative for Anglican thought, uh, then you would have I mean, you would still need to go to seminary, but that would be a, that would be a step in the right direction. You know, so I have carried that book around with me all the way to like I'll never forget. I was in the Church of England in Vienna and Bishop the late Bishop Jeffrey Rowell, who actually preached at um at the canonization of um, John Henry Newman. Like that's how high church he was. He actually, blessed Fairfield, attorney School for Ministry, I went to him once and said, I don't know a lot about this quote unquote high church tradition. Who should I read? And he says, you know, you should read Jeffrey Rowell. And so when I got to meet Bishop Rowell, I was so excited. I was like, you, your reputation precedes you. But I, so I taught a confirmand class uh, with these two Americans who were there. And all we did was go through 39 articles. And they were very concerned about the one on predestination and original sin. I mean, all the same stuff but they went back and met with Bishop Rao and explained to him what the, um, the curriculum had been. And then came back to me and just said that, well, you know, he was very respectful, but he said there are many other ways that we could also have taught confirmation and that, you know, he gave us some other resources to sort of round out their formation. And I said, well, you know, I'm not surprised that he did that, but, but, but it has been a persistent discussion that I've had is that we have the resources. I mean, you know, you asked in the beginning, Nick, about Anglican formation. Like I don't, I mean, I am an Anglican minister. I have been involved in this since college. I'm I'm deeply invested. My whole life uh, is invested in the Anglican church. So I care deeply about Anglican formation, but not so deeply that that I um, well, well, I shouldn't put it this way, is it? Anglican formation is a secondary concern to just simple Christian formation. And I think that Anglican, the Anglican bones are the best way when sort of used to, to structure and form a, a just a, a classic Christian um, life. I mean, that's that's how I argue people to say, why did you become an Anglican? I said, well, I look for a church that was based on this, that, that believed in the authority of Scripture and was committed to the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And I found the Anglican church. That's what I believe. And so that that's that's what I think. Think when I think of Anglican formation, is confidence in the Scripture, the ability to um, you know diagnose uh, sin as it is manifest in this current generation, which will maybe look a lot different in the next generation. I don't know, and an ability and a confidence and a courage to call to preach the law and the gospel, to actually proclaim, speak what God has given us to say, and that requires. That requires an immense amount of learning. I mean, not not an overly large, but more than normal laity. It, it involves courage. It involves conviction. But ultimately, it all it requires the foundation of hope. You know, the blessed hope. I mean, the Cranmer Scripture College, right? Oh, holy, uh, blessed Lord, who calls all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, so that by the patience and comfort of Thy holy word we may ever hold fast that blessed hope you have set before us. I mean, that's. When that you've said that one before, I've said that before. That's my, (laughs) that's my favorite. That's my favorite colic. But um, so you know, again, I say this. uh, very impassionedly, because as, a, as, a, as I said before, an alumni and a member of Trinity School for Ministry Board, I, I have deep affection for all of the blood, sweat and tears that have gone into that school. I mean, some of which I caused, you know, but, but, but um, you know, the late Peter Moore is a, is a dear friend uh, and was a mentor for me for many years, who was the dean that sort of took it from, you know, a, sort of like a mom and pop operation to a, to a worldwide global hub of evangelical Anglicanism. I mean, that's what that's the history of that. School and and like the ACNA, um, that school, like many many other seminaries, is in uh, a process of of sort of figuring out you know what's the what's the next iteration look like. I mean that you know you can't if you stand still you, that's not that's not an option. And so this process of discussing what the Anglican identity is is very much a part of um, of preparing people. Like I said, for the discernment of actually sending the type people that we need to seminary even before. Um, they get trained, you know. I mean, just the type of people that that you know. Are we looking for the good readers and the the nice, you know, young people, or are we looking for courageous men and perhaps women who are ready to to sacrifice and to and to suffer, you know? And that's what I don't know. I mean, that's that's where we need more Matt Kennedys, you know, who are at the rector level who are not just passively accepting people to come looking for ordination, but actively pursuing people and saying, you know, the world has enough lawyers uh, and doctors, or at least, you know, maybe you are called to that. But you should also consider this because we have a lot of people who um, who need to be shepherded by people who know um, how to use a hook and a crook. And we think you may be one of them. And I mean, that's that's what I would love to see. I mean, I I basically at this point, if I meet someone who's a devout and a biblically literate Christian who's in their early 20s, I almost basically just rush them entirely to 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 become an Anglican priest. I'm like, please, we need more of you. Um, You know, I don't know what other plans you had for your life, but this is a better one. Um, You know, and let me explain how. And of course, you know, they spend a little bit of time with us and they realize that that's uh, there's some some. We should say opportunities and challenges that the ministry provides for your life and family <laughs> but um but it's a worthwhile calling you know, and that's this is what we do i mean i've um and, and Nick knows i mean we when we were both at uh saint francis uh and with with southern seminary right there you know we would i <laughs> would try to like make rounds through the seminary and just kind of you know put out a uh you know like a shingle like a rush chairman you know dan Grattan, uh i mean eric stratton rush chairman uh for the <laughs> anglican church because i knew that you know if you had these type young men who had who were preparing for semin- for preparing for work in the southern baptist church they had already counted some of the costs that that, that that i knew they were going to have to count and so you know i wasn't trying to convert them out of southern baptist church but if they were looking for a biblically sound church that just happened to baptize babies well then you know have we got a deal for you um and so you know i'm i'm sympathetic i mean i think did you reference it or not there's an article written 10 years ago or 12 years ago now in um the gospel coalition that i carry around and i send to people all the time because i've yet to find something that is more compelling and it was um The Gospel Coalition asked, what one thing would you change about seminary? And it asked a number of people, including Al Mohler. And and there's a lot of good stuff in it. But there's one part in particular that stood out. And it's by a guy named um, Richard Pratt, who was once the chair of Old Testament at RTS. And he talks about this. He says that um, he uses the analogy of seminary being like military training, you know, which is many people try to decry. I mean, military analogies are replete in the scriptures. I mean, there's no question, you know, from onward Christian soldiers is very Christian hymn to sing. He says, can you imagine what kind of soldiers our nation would have if basic training amounted to reading books, listening to lectures, writing papers, and taking exams? We'd have dead soldiers. The first time a bullet was past their head on the battlefield, they'd panic. The first explosion they saw would send them running. So what is basic training for the military? Recruits learn the information they need to know, but this is a relatively small part of their preparation. Most of basic training is devoted to supervised battle simulation. Recruits are put through harrowing emotional and physical stress. They crawl under live bullet fire and they practice hand to hand combat. And he uses that as an analogy of what, excuse me, he thinks scripture, I mean, uh, seminary should be like. And he says, I'd put students through endless hours of hands on service to the sick and dying physically dangerous evangelism. Now that's something, right? Frequent preaching and teaching the scriptures and days on end of fasting and prayer, seminary would either make or break them and he says, "Do you know what would happen? Very few young men would want to attend." That's I mean good. that's that's good stuff right there because it amounts I mean this is why I get in arguments all the time with people about virtual seminary or, you know, streamlining it or making it, you know, easier um somehow to to have and I said You know, if we're looking at somebody, particularly in their 20s, who we hope has a 30, 40 year ministry ahead of them. uh, Why are we so concerned about the first like the first three years of their lives seem to be, you know, a good proportion, proportional amount to prepare them for what we hope will be a long and fruitful ministry. And so why do we why are we so quick to throw them out into, you know, into the water, as it were, until we are certain that they can't just not only swim, but they, they can swim well and fast and strong. And so again, I mean I, I'm so heartened by your testimony there, Matt. I mean, not the least of which of of uh recruiting young people, you know, the elusive young people from from a college and actually shepherding them up through the challenges of a ministry, so that I, you know, by God's grace, I expect them to have at the very least a very clear-eyed understanding of what they're getting involved in and that can only be for the good of the people that they have been sent to to serve and to lay down their lives for and you know thank god and one assumes matt that as
1: you're going through this process with them you are clear and open with them about the possibility that you're going to find that they're not called in this direction
2: yeah it's not Word is not the uh, the first steps toward your pastorate. It's the discerning whether or not you're going forward <laughs> program, right? So you uh, you spend you know two years on staff and which you discern whether or not God is calling you to this, and we help you discern that. And there have been some guys that we've said say no. There've been two guys we said no uh, to. One guy who tried it out and said this is not for me. Um, and that's what you want. You want you don't want every single person who tra- who comes through wanting to be formed to, to just pass through without any problem you want you want people to be tested and tried to the point that it's uh, there are times when they want to quit yeah. um and if they choose to go on that's a great sign that means you've got somebody who's who who uh is walking into it with eyes wide open and who has the who has the desire to make the sacrifices necessary to be in the pasture and it's a sacrificing thing. you, you know i remember I, I was for, I was fortunate enough when I was uh, preparing to go to seminary myself to have a really good, really good Episcopal church and really good pastor who did who did kind of uh, mentor me. But I only had I think a year and a half there, maybe two years. But I wasn't. And I was on staff, but I, I did. There was it was kind of a placid time, so there were no real crises. And so I, I came out of seminary really, really. I was kind of expecting, you know, a cruise ship. Yeah, you know, this is like 2002, right? Well, so no, like, you
1: weren't totally right? expecting a cruise ship. I mean, I, well, I was. <laughs> maybe thought, like thought, a
0: maybe like a level three whitewater rafting. Trip. I, I like, thought it was you you kind know, of Iceberg dangerous. Was
1: there on the horizon, but
2: pretty I far thought, away.
0: How many more? I, how many more analogies can we draw?
2: I thought that the Gene Robinson thing was at least ten years off. I thought that right. the gay fight was. We, I, I, I had no idea. Getting out of that it was, you know, was going to break open in 2003. But anyway, it, I was I was shocked by a lot of the things I found when I got to. 'm i'm my, my parish and yeah i mean just if you have someone you' if you're if you're a pastor you're listening right now and you and you have a young uh young guy you think is and or a guy who's not so young uh <laughs> who is uh who who has the courage depth and you know the courage you know pose the question that's that's how I, I mean all the guys uh save the first who came to me all the guys i've recruited just start with that question hey what have you ever thought about have you ever thought about the pastor have you ever thought doing what i'm doing um and i think only one when i asked that question immediately said oh that's yeah i have been thinking along those lines the others said oh no yeah i'm not even thinking no way and turned it over in their head over the next few weeks or months and said you know what i'm <laughs> i am i really think i want to try this out mm-hmm. um so so yeah i mean it I, I i do think that in a healthy in a healthy congregational setting god's going to raise up people with vocations toward uh toward ministry
0: yeah, Matt, I totally agree with you. And I, uh, like I said before, I mean, we have been looking, I look far and wide. I mean, if anyone listening to this podcast has any inclination, <laughs> call it, yeah. call is we can talk. But, you know, I think to the to the back to the original question um, about Anglican formation, I, and I keep saying this, and I, I apologize, dear listener, if I've said it too often. But if we could just as an ACNA, whether we have, you know, our um, PowerPoint and rock band or our organ and our high church and anything and everything in between, if we could just maintain vocal, Courageous fidelity to the the major themes that actually went into forming the ACNA. I mean, the Jerusalem Declaration statements, for instance. You know about the uniqueness of Christ, the the um, the authority of Scripture, the the God's design for human sexuality. Like, if we could just, in no matter what church you went into, whatever your worship style was, even what seminary you went to, if you realized that that was the church you were joining, and that in order to to defend the the hope set before you, you needed to be able to articulate in a very uh, winsome and erudite way um, why those three things were important enough for an entire denomination to form uh, over against the Episcopal church. Like if you can do that and you can articulate it and you can defend it and you are passionate about it, well, then you're going to be okay. Whether you are, you're going to be doing what you were called to do. You know, you're going to, the uniqueness of Christ is going to put you on the wrong side of all sorts of people because they're going to say, well, you know, my I don't want to talk to my neighbor who's not a Christian. It's like, well, you 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 need to, you know, yesterday. Um, and I don't know what that looks like. At least invite them to church. Let's start there you know the the authority of scripture you know puts you in all sorts of uh, awkward conversations um, across the board and then fundamentally you know we just got through pride month I mean that one's going to put you in the the wrong side of everything when you talk about God actually has a plan and a design for human sexuality that doesn't involve limitless permutations of your gender and sexuality I mean all of those are going to weed out from the onset the type of people who want to get into this for I don't know for um, for codependency reasons for because they're people pleasers because they think you know they want to be nice I mean again I hope that I'm never accused of being cruel, um, or mean, um, you know, but, but at the same time, some of the, um, the things that we are called to proclaim, uh, the law and the gospel, uh, can put you in, in that category often. And yet it's all for the sake, you know, the, the surgeon who cuts with a scalpel could be accused of causing pain. Well, he does cause pain, but the pain is in service of healing. And that's, that's what we've been called to do. And it's something that, you know, I think has, uh, settled in I mean, Nick, I think we could, we've sort of settled together in this, um, you know, when I first started, I was a different person. I mean, that sounds silly, but, but, um, I mean, it sounds obvious because it is, but, but, you know, over the what, 17, 15 years of, we've been doing this officially now, you know, things have have settled in. And so the clarity that is now required for looking for the people who seem to uh, have the 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 talent and the gifting is is clearer now than it was back, you know, when I thought all I needed was a degree so people would listen to me more, you know. And so I'm grateful for the the opportunity to help people discern their ministries. I'm also mo- grateful for the for the witness, Matt, that you and, and many other churches to that matter have are. are constantly giving or currently giving, in the calling and forming of future ministers, because I, I, I hope that my grandchildren are um, baptized Anglicans. I mean, if they're, if they're mainly, I hope they're Christians, but um, the only hope they have is the only hope that the church has ever had is that those who are called will preach. And then the, uh, from the preaching of the gospel faith will come and um, God willing uh, faithful, courageous shepherds will continue to protect um, God's people. And, and that's what, that's that's why Anglican formation is such a passion for all of us here and um, one that I hope will continue to be involved in for the rest of our lives. Well, I think those are going to be good words to end on this week. Uh, thanks
1: so much for listening. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going with us, please be in touch. You can rate, interview the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group thanks as always to matt kennedy and jd coke i think we're getting into the thick of vacation season so um the lineup may vary these next few weeks but we intend to be here with you guys lord willing we'll be back until then by the grace of god and jesus christ we'll be standing firm